Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Well, this is week two of our systematic theology study, right? We said at the beginning of Summer Vibes, we're going to be uh, studying and searching Scripture over three big truths, three big uh, principles, three big doctrines that we find repeated through Scripture. The first is love God. And we sat down last week at the table of God's love, and my prayer is that not just last Sunday, but hopefully throughout the week, you've been able to, to feast and receive that love uh, to you. And then uh, we'll fast forward. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about how uh, God loves us, uh, God's love, and then how we to, are to love others, and then how we can serve both, and how the love of God enables us to do that. This is week two of the series, Love God. And so we're diving in. Last week, we said, hey, come, sit at the table, learn, receive, believe the love of God for you and to you. This week, we're gonna give you what one old preacher called shoe leather Christianity, something to walk in, right? Something practical that you can say, okay, how can I then live, operate, uh, go forward in this love of God? How can I regularly abide in this love? So we're gonna continue our study on that this week by going back to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible, if you have your YouVersion app or wherever, again, very familiar verses. 1 John chapter 1, and we'll pick it up in verse 3. 1 John 1, 3 says this, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we, say we have not if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I like it when I come to scripture and it's very clear. It's very noticeable. It's very obvious the intent for which a passage is written. Uh, maybe if you've been a student of God's word for a while, you've come to some deeper passages and some obscure passages, and you've been like, man, I've got I've to study, I've got to read, I've got to understand this. It's going to take a little while to kind of uh, realize what this is trying to teach me. But John here very clearly and very plainly says, hey, here's why I'm writing to you. I, I'm very clear in my expressions. He says in verse four, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. John's intention in his first letter in boldness is for the sake of clarity in authenticity. So in other words, John's saying this, hey, I wanna be very clear with you so that you can live real lives, so that you can live authentic lives, so that your joy can be full, so that love can flow from your life. I, I want you to understand, this is why I'm gonna write to you. And it's almost like he's saying, hey, I'm writing you so your joy can be full, and so I'm gonna be really blunt about it, right? And he's not being blunt for the sake of being rude. I think sometimes our culture likes to be blunt so that they can be rude. You know what I mean? It's almost like, a, like a, if, if you can 
If you can burn me, then it's good. If, if you can roast me, then it's good. That's not what John's doing. John's not trying to point a finger at the church and say, if you do better in here, then you'll be better. He's saying, our joy is supposed to be full. Our love is supposed to be full. The love of God is unending. So let's not let anything keep us from it. Matter of fact, let's assess how can we live in the love of God? That's the message for today. How do I live in love? Look how bold John is when he writes um, 1 John 1, 6. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, fellowship with him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. Have you ever been there? Have you ever like known something was wrong, but you can't put your finger on what it is? You know what I mean? Like, like, like you're not a connoisseur. You, you don't know. My, my in-laws, just last night, I was talking with them this morning. They said they went upstairs into their um, upstairs to go to bed for the night. And they went upstairs and it was hot. And so they felt the vent and it was blowing out hot air and not cold air. How many of you are like me and you're going to be like, that's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know something's wrong, but you're like, I, I, I don't know what it is. Most guys are like this. We'll go out and we'll pull the electrical panel off and we'll be like, huh. We don't know what we're looking at. We just, we just know something's wrong. You know what I mean? Have you ever felt like that in life? Uh, when I graduated college, I just finished seminary. Um, I had I'd finished my uh, bachelor's degree and then gone back for my master's, finished with my master's degree. And so I was graduated from the college and I still had to live and kind of work in the area for like a month or two. One, one of my jobs I was working was I was a armed security guard for Boeing and um, Lockheed Martin, they have a lot of uh, DOD contracts with the uh, Air Force Base. I was out in Lancaster, California, and so that was my job through the night. I was an armed security guard, and uh, eat, great gig for a college student, you know what I mean, be able to stay up through the night and get some studying done when, when I had, took my breaks and all that stuff. My other job, that's like one end of the spectrum, my other job was I worked at Dillard's in the women's shoe department. I sold women's <laughs> shoes. Um, so, you know, Anyways, I paid my bills, right? So that, that, that's what I had to do. And so I was, I was doing both things and, and kind of going through it. And I, I had to finish my jobs. I had two fairly well-paying jobs there for a college student. So I was like, man, I want to finish. I want to make as much money as I can. I was engaged and trying to you know, pay off the ring and get, get life started and all that stuff. And so the college was like, well, we love you, um, but you can't live here anymore. You, you know what I mean? Like you're graduated, you're done. So the college owned like a house that was off campus and they had bought the house and had done absolutely nothing to it. And so they were like, here, why don't you live there? And there was about four or five of us college students that had graduated and we moved into this off-campus home and we kind of converted it to be like a dorm room. H have you ever been to a house that college students are living in? Exactly what you're imagining, that's kind of what this place was. And we lived there for a few weeks. I mean, what does a college student need? I had a bed. Um, we built a couple like homemade cornhole sets. You know what I mean? We were out there playing cornhole. We had a, a Xbox or, or a PlayStation. You know what I mean? We, we were set up. We had all of our study stuff. We, we had a place to sleep. We each had a corner to throw our clothes in because we know that's what college students do, you know? And so we, we were good. We were ready to go. And so we were fine for the first week. Into the second week, it was all good. And about week number two, I started noticing when I would come home a little bit of an odor. <laughs> have you ever been there? Now, now, by nature, I know I'm having fun with college students and all that stuff, but, but by nature, I'm not a fan of, of um, uncleanliness, specifically in the area of smells. Like, like, I just, for those of you who work in the medical world, God bless you. Like, like you are called of God to do the work that you are, you are doing. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, I could not do that. And so I would come home and there was this smell and I'm like, man. And so you know what you do? You go up to your, 
to your friends and you give them the sniff test. You know, you go in, dab them up. What's up, bro? You know, nope, not him. You know, you don't look at me like that. You've done it. You know what I mean? Like you lean in, you're like, hey, you know, God bless you, you know? And you just kind of go the other way. And so I kind of leaned in. I was, I was trying to figure out where did the smell come from? And so myself and my friend Andrew, I went to him and I'm like, bro, we got to figure this out. So we decided, we, we came up with a plan. We're like, all right, it's got to be in the house somewhere. And so we go to Walmart and we just, you know, we're going down the cleaning aisle, like, you know what I mean? Like, and so we go back to the house and we just start cleaning, deep cleaning everything. We clean everywhere. We clean the bathrooms, we clean the living areas, we clean everyone's bedroom, like nobody had a choice, you know what I mean? We're like, just cleaning everything. I remember there was this sliding glass door along the back and I opened the sliding glass door and I was getting down into the track that the sliding glass door was on. You know what I mean? Like, like I, w- I was just like, like Monica from Friends, like a vacuum for my vacuum. You know, like I was trying to clean everything, just do everything I absolutely could to get it clean. And we would get it clean and you could just smell like bleach and chlorine and all that stuff. And then by the next morning, or if we cleaned that morning, would go to work by that night, the smell would be back. You, have you ever had anything like that? Have you ever, you ever experienced that at all? Man, we would come back in and the smell had gone from like unpleasant to like disgusting to like death. You know what I mean? Like, like it was like, what is going on? And I don't know the timeline. I wasn't keeping track of it, but all I know is it had been going on for too long. I think it was like weeks. Like, like that's how it feels in my memory. I didn't keep track of it. I don't really know how long it is, but I know that I came home one day and I was so tired of it. Every time I get home, I'd open all the doors, all the windows, didn't matter how hot it was and like air everything out. Like I just couldn't stand it. And I got home one day and I walked by the converted living room, which is where a bunk bed was. And that was kind of my area and all that. And I had a bookshelf. I had all these books on the bookshelf and I walked by the bookshelf and I looked on the bookshelf and on the bookshelf, was an open can of Dr. Pepper. And I was like, well, well, that's weird. And so I went over and you know what the sniff test is. I gave it the shake test. You know what the shake test is? That's where you find some open and you're like, is there enough left to drink it? You know what I mean? So I went over to it and I gave it the shake test. And when I shook it, this was no ordinary can of Dr. Pepper. It had a mysterious weight to it. I was like, why is this so heavy? And so I kind of shook it. And so then I went from the shake test to the sniff test. And so... And when I sniffed it, the source of the smell radiated into my nostrils. I mean, it was like, you know what I mean? Like I'm screaming, I'm like, what is going on here? I'd found it and so I'm like, this is is disgusting. What am I supposed to do with this? This is terrible, like what have I done? Have I I opened a gate to the upside down? Like I didn't know what was going on. And so I took it and I take it over to the sink and I'm like, I just gotta dump this out and then throw it in the trash and get rid of this. And I went to dump out the Dr. Pepper and it was not in liquid form. The liquid was more like a slimy like substance and I dumped it out and it was like glug, glug, glug. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm grossed out, but I'm also curious, you know? And I'm like, what is in here? And so I shook it a couple times and as I shook it, there was something inside, something besides the slime. And so I'm like, we're gonna solve this mystery today, boys. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm shaking it, shaking it. And so I shook it one more time And I promise you, I cannot explain this. I'm not a scientist. I went to Bible college, okay? I shook it and a dead mouse fell out of the Dr. Pepper can. I was like, how'd this even happen? Like mouse is walking along like, hey, Dr. Pepper, what's up? You know what I mean? Like, did he fall in? Did he go swimming? Was it, was it like, was he like, Dr. Pepper? You know what I mean? Like all all of us Americans are like, yeah, Coke, you know, Dr. Pepper, whatever. Like what happened here? And so this, this Dr. Pepper that had obviously 
ended this mouse's journey here on earth and now the mouse was living on the farm somewhere else, this Dr. Pepper, I dump it out and the smell is, the smell is terrible. I'm like, what? What in the world? And no joke, I could not drink Dr. Pepper for at least two days. Um, so it was, I was like, what in the world? How did this happen? To this day, like I, I remember the feelings, I remember the emotions, I remember the smell throughout the house. I'm like, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't know, like, I don't know if the mouse was like, my whiskers fit, so I fit, wee, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what happened. Now, I say all that to say this, I know for me, there have been times in my life where there's been a source of something that I haven't been able to identify. And I'm like, man, what is going on? Why can't I identify the source? Why can't I figure out what's actually happening? Have you ever felt like this? I'm not just talking about with, with a Dr. Pepper can. I'm talking about in life. Have you ever gone through life and you're just like, man, I can't put my finger on it, but I'm just, I just feel empty. Man, I, I, can't, I can't identify it, but, but I just know like something, I'm struggling with something and I don't know what it is. You can't seem to identify what's going on. I know I felt like this. You've tried to. Every time you seem to change the circumstances or scrub out the smell, eventually it comes back. I know there's been seasons of my life where I've come to church and I've heard a sermon on God's love and I feel like everything is cleaned up, but then later in the week, what explodes from me is anger and frustration and, and just uh, uh, my personal struggle, my inward struggle of, man, I, I don't know what's going on, I'm struggling. It's emptiness. It's still there and I just can't seem to get rid of it. Or, or maybe for you, it's, you get asked big questions like where do you see yourself in five years and they just stress you out. Because what questions like your goals and happiness and dreams feel so heavy when you're just trying to get through today. Maybe you wake up in the morning, you feel somewhat content, but as the day wears on, the happiness is drained from you. Maybe you feel like you're in a tailspin of time, days and weeks and even years seem to pass without you even realizing it. The common thread here is this. For most Christians at some season in your life, I know I've been there. For most Christians, some season in my life and our lives, we're gonna have the option to settle for a subpar existence as followers of Jesus. Here's how John identifies it. He says, you're living your life like your joy is not full. I know I've been there. I know I've struggled with that. Like my joy isn't full. Like my love isn't full. And in those times I question, is it even possible to live a life full of joy and a life full of God's love? This morning, I'd like to lean in once again on the writings of John as he helped the church identify during his time and adjust as to why their joy, as to why their love wasn't full. Our goal is to follow the teachings of John, the principle he gives throughout scripture, through different uh, authors, but all through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we hope to give ourselves a, a, a litmus test. We hope to give ourselves a couple questions, a couple scenarios that John sets up and says, here's some areas to assess to make sure that you are walking in the light. That's what he says, right? We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on to live in spiritual darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The first area that John invites us to assess in 1 John chapter one, he says, hey, assess these areas as believers. And again, it's not this accusation tone of, well, as a Christian, you should be doing this. It's as I pull up to the table of God's love and I receive his love for me, if there's a disconnect throughout the week, if there's something that I'm like, man, 
I just don't know if I'm connected to the source and I come back the next week and I just feel drained and just feel empty. I can ask myself these questions. The first test, the first area John gives us is in 1 John 1 and he says this, love lives in fellowship. 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. John here is focused in on the church and he says, I want the church to know that there is this, there is this outpouring of love. There's this reception of love. There's this funnel of love where we are not reservoirs. We don't just show up to the love of God and just take in and take in and take in. We are rivers where when we show up to the love of God, God doesn't just flow to us, but God flows through us to someone else and to the rest of our lives so that our lives will grow and life will spring forth from us. This has been the model for the church since its inception by Jesus and his disciples and since its formation in Acts. Acts 2.41 says this, then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily, those who were being saved. What's he saying there? Here the model of the church is this, love lives in fellowship. Later, Paul tells the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul teaches the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 3, 8, to me whom the, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Up until this point, the church age, the existence of the church, the age of grace was unknown to the world, the God-following, God-believing world at this time. So God reveals this mystery in the church and says it is centered, it is uh, the focal point of fellowship. Paul reminds the church at Philippi, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this day until now. Think about the value of fellowship. God said it this way in creation, it is not good for man to be alone. God says you and I were created for fellowship. The late poet John Don penned and was later mirrored in the writings of Shakespeare, no man is an, is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know from the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. So beautifully illustrated in poetry is this truth. Love, true love, lives in fellowship. And, and this morning, what I'm not trying to do, I, I often preach and teach to teenagers. And so I'm reminded that as I preach and teach, I wanna communicate the truth and not the truth based on my opinion. So here's what I'm not trying to do. I am by nature an extrovert, right? So I enjoy spending time with people. I enjoy getting out and, and having time and doing all that. What I'm not saying as an extrovert is saying, well, bless God, now that you're a Christian, you have to be an extrovert. I married an introvert and I love that about her. I love that she is more introverted by nature. Why? Because I get to know her and you don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that's not the reason. I love that about her. And I would be not living in obedience with God if I go to my wife and I say, you know what? I think you're supposed to be this way when God made her this way. 
I want to appreciate, I want to value the creation. So if you're here and you're more introverted, if you're here and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not comfortable where he's going. And you're like, okay, we'll just get through point one and we'll see what he says after that. You know what I mean? If that's you, listen to me. When I'm saying fellowship, love lives in fellowship, you've got to understand this. Love lives in fellowship, but the first place love starts in fellowship is you need to develop a habit of having fellowship with God. You need to develop a habit of spending time in fellowship with God. I'm not talking about go out and meet new people and go out and make new friends. There is value in that, and we'll talk about that on your level, according to your calling here in a little bit. But fellowship, when we talk about love lives in fellowship, what John is saying here is when you have fellowship with us, you have fellowship with the Father. Develop a habit of spending time in fellowship with God. How can I know my love is connected? How can I know my love is connecting to those around me? First, I need to spend time, just me, in fellowship with God. For someone in here, it may look like reading someone who breathes life into you. There have been different seasons of my life. I know about five or six years ago, I came in contact, uh, in contact, I say, I read some books by an author by the name of Bob Goff. All my teens make fun of me. I go to preach and they're like, is there a Bob Goff quote today, Pastor Caleb? You know what I mean? Like, they all just make fun of me. But I read a book called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And basically in that book, he says this. He says that we are to love everybody always. You say, man, Pastor Caleb, that, that's a tall order. I know, I work with teenagers. I needed this reminder, right? You go up to a teenager and you're like, hey, how are you doing? Fine. How, how, how's school? Fine. How's life? Fine. What's your friend's name? Fine. Hi, fine. Nice to meet you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I work with them. I get it. But basically, his whole synopsis is this. We should love difficult people because that's who we are. <laughs> we are difficult people, right? And I need that reminder. I need that reset button. So for me, there are seasons in my life where when I spend fellowship with God, it looks differently. It's spending time in his word, but it's also spending time reading something that helps me grow, reading something that helps me lean in. Everybody always is a resource for you. Then the book, Undistracted by Bob Goff. He just recently wrote it, Undistracted. The subtitle, Capture Your Purpose, Rediscover Your Joy. He talks about how we're so often in the presence, in the fellowship of those we love, but we're really on our phones. I needed that reminder. I, I needed that reset button in my life to say, when I go home to my family, I put my phone away and I say, hey kids, how you guys doing? I love y'all and I, I turn my ringer off. It's okay if work calls. It's okay if my boss calls, I can call him back. Why wouldn't my boss want me to spend time with my family? I needed that reminder in my life. So I read that book. There was another one when I was going through college, it was a devotional called Streams in the Desert. Streams in the Desert. I remember, I don't know if you've read this before or not, but it's a, it's a well-known Christian devotional. I remember reading this and going through it and journaling through this devotional while I was in a season of singleness in college and it helped me grow. It's basically um, devotional thoughts compiled from all over different writers, different speakers, different authors, and it helped me grow so much. I don't know what season you're in, but whatever season you're in, develop a habit of spending time in fellowship with God. Maybe for you, you're like my wife and, and your season right now is with toddlers at home. So I make sure that when I go home, listen to me, I make sure that for my wife, I say, hey, why don't you go out of the house today? Letting a mom get out, and it may look like having dad have a day with the kids while mom goes and sits in a coffee shop and, uh, or, or gets her nails done or simply gets to go shopping without kids pulling at her and screaming, it's so fluffy I could die. You know what I mean? Like, let mom, let mom go out and let mom have time with her creator. Let her worship him. Moms, please hear me. Prioritizing your fellowship with God is not selfish. It is an act of worship to your creator, the one who gave you your beautiful children. And it doesn't have to be a self-aggrandizing act of worship. Find a corner in a nice cafe or somewhere that you enjoy and celebrate who you are in Jesus. 
enjoy it, lean into it. I do this regularly with my wife, why? Not because I'm this super husband, but because I know that she's made in God's image and I see all the beauty that God has made her in. So I wanna release her to worship God in the same way I'm released to worship God. I don't know what season you're in, but maybe for you it's getting out of the house, getting away for a little bit. Maybe you're a grandparent in here and it may look for you like finding a place where you can be undisturbed for an extended period of time so you can reflect over the goodness of God. We just sang about it. All my life, God has been faithful. For me, I get to look back over 33 years and say, man, that's true. All my life, God's been faithful. I had a college professor that said this, greatness isn't measured in years, but in decades. For some of you, you followed a great God for decades. You've seen the goodness and the greatness of God. So you get to look over decades of God's goodness and greatness, and you get to then turn that into an act of worship saying, God, thank you for all you've done. And then you get to turn the act of worship into an arrow of prayer for the next generation. And you can say, God, like you've been faithful to me, will you be faithful to my children and to my grandchildren? And you can pray for the next generation of this church. God, will you be faithful for the next generation of our, of our church? I'm so blessed to be a part of Southern Hills Church because all the time, those who have been following God for decades will come up to me and say, what can I do for the next gen ministry? What can I do for the youth ministry? How can I pray for them? I had a, a small group get together and say, hey, we're gonna take up an offering. We don't even know what the total is. We're gonna seal it in an envelope. We're gonna give it to you. Help some teenagers go to camp. Man, that changes lives. That's an act of worship of you saying, hey, I wanna develop a habit of spending time in fellowship to God. For the person working 60 hours a week, I said real briefly about how um, I was working a security job overnight and then I would, uh, I would work that nine to 6 a.m. At 6 a.m. I would get off and I'd go back to the college and I'd eat breakfast and I'd go to class by 7.20 and I'd be in class till 12.30. I'd get out of class, I'd grab lunch as fast as I could and I would go sleep for like three hours. And then I would get up and I would go to my job at Dillard selling women's shoes and then I would go back to my security job. You say, how did you, how did you live like that? Jesus and caffeine, <laughs> you know? I had coworkers that, that would always say like, and they didn't know anything about the Christian faith or anything. They, they would say, hey, wait a minute, aren't you, aren't you like Jesus followers? Aren't you not supposed to drink caffeine? I'm like, that's the Mormons, wrong faith. We believe in Jesus and caffeine, you know what I mean? <laughs> and not, not in a bad way, right? How do you get through it? Listen, there may be someone here today, you literally just got off the night shift and you're here or you just worked it. You're, you're kind of restabilizing just to go back to the night shifts and you're here. Thank you for your act of service. In all those years that I worked that schedule, my altar, my place where I worship Jesus was in my car in between jobs. And so whether it was five minutes or 15 minutes to work, it was an act of worship of, Lord, I wanna spend time in fellowship with you, develop a habit of spending time in fellowship with God, and then develop a habit of spending time in fellowship with other believers. Really quickly, really quickly, somebody gave me this schematic, this, this uh, area to, to check who I'm fellowshipping with. When I was young, I'll give it to you quickly, it's based off the life of David. David had three characters, three types of people in his life. Number one, he had a Nathan. Nathan was the prophet who came to him and said, thou art the man. Nathan is someone older. Nathan is someone wiser. Nathan is someone who can come to you and hold you accountable. Do you have a Nathan? Are you spending time with someone who can hold you accountable and say, hey, are you growing? Are you staying faithful to Jesus? Are you staying faithful to your family? Get a Nathan. Then Nathan, uh, then, then David, he had a Nathan. Then David had a Jonathan. Jonathan was his friend. Jonathan was a peer. Jonathan was someone he could share secrets with and he would keep them. Jonathan was someone who they lived off each other's energy. It was a peer and they grew in it. Do you have a Jonathan? Do you have someone in your community, someone about your age, someone who's a peer that you can share with? And then David had a Solomon. David invested in someone after him. I love the beauty of this. David invested in someone after him so much so, he said, you're gonna do things I never got the opportunity to do. Too often, I'm, I'm afraid that 
as I receive the blessing of the previous generation, which God has always placed me in churches where the previous generation says, man, we want the church to grow. We want a next generation church. And so as I receive the blessing of the next generation, I wanna make sure that I'm a conduit. I wanna make sure that I'm passing that on to the generation to come. How in your life are you doing that? How are you pouring into someone else? Number one, love lives in fellowship. Number two, love listens to the spirit. Number one, love lives in fellowship, but John goes on, 1 John 2, 27 says it this way, but you, who, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what he teaches is true, it is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. We believe in this awesome doctrine called the personal priest of the believer. That means you have as much access to Jesus as I do. Spend time with him, be filled with the spirit. You say, I don't, know, I don't know if I know how to do it. John said it this way, John 15, 26, but when the comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the spirit, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the father, he shall testify of me. You say, how can I be filled with the spirit? First, you have to know who he is. John is the only one to use this word. He calls him the comforter. And the Greek word there is paraclete. Paraclete, it means one who's called alongside of, one who's called to represent one who's called to intercede, it's basically this, he's your lawyer. He tells you what to say and when to say it. He helps you walk through life. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even said in John, as he records at 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You say, okay, how can I know? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? I found something when, when I was early um, in seminary and in, in my ministry, I came across the writings of a great missionary and pastor of yesteryear by the name of George Mueller. And George Mueller wrote a uh, basically schematic, a, a blueprint of how do I ascertain the will of God? How can I know what God is, who God is, and what his will for me is? And in it, it's basically a guide post, a guide lamp to being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says this, and if you're in here and you say, okay, I understand, I've been, I've been faithful to fellowship, but I need to be filled with the Spirit. How can that happen? George Mueller says this, if I want to know the will of God, or if I want to be filled with the Spirit, number one, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to any given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in the state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. This is the model Jesus gave to his disciples. Our Father which art in heaven, not my will, but thy will be done. It's getting into his presence and saying, all right, Holy Spirit, if you're gonna lead me today, I need to be full of you. He says, number two, having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impression. If I do so, I make myself liable to great delusions. Our Christian faith is not a call to just follow our feelings, but it is a call of discipleship to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, to empty us of ourselves and to fill us up with the Holy Spirit. Every day we have this battle in ourselves of, I don't wanna be filled with my own anger, my own wrath, my own pride. I wanna be filled with the gentle spirit of Jesus, the gentle spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Number three, I seek the will of God. I seek the will of the spirit of God through or in connection with the word of God. The spirit and the word must be combined. If I look to the spirit alone without the word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Ghost guides us at all, it's a rhetorical question, of course he does, he will do it according to the scriptures and never contrary to them. So as I ask to be filled with the spirit, I study God's word. Number four, next I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and spirit. I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes I'm tempted to start with 
the circumstances first. Oh, what could this be telling me? Man, things are getting tough. Things are getting difficult. God, what, are you trying, what message are you trying to send me? First, I need to spend time in his presence, being filled with his spirit, and then I'll be able to understand what's happening in my life. Number five, I ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me aright. Thus, through prayer to God, the study of, of the word and reflection, I come to the deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge. And if my mind is thus at peace and continues so after two or three more petitions, I proceed accordingly. In trivial matters and in transactions involving most important issues, I found this method always effective. George Mueller's diary after he passed from this life had thousands of recorded answers to prayer. Matter of fact, they kept it for years after that. And 30 years after he passed from this world to the next, answers to his prayers that he had written down in his prayer journal were still coming to fruition. Why? Because he's a man filled with the spirit. Love lives in fellowship. Love listens to the spirit. And then lastly, and real simply, love lasts in confidence. Philippians 1, we read the first part already, but it's Paul goes on to tell the church at Philippi this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Real simply, I'll give you this story, this illustration, and then I'm done. You say, what does that look like, that love lasts in confidence? When I first started in ministry, I was at a small church in, in Texas. And I don't know if you're like me, but the small church that I was at had the Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then they had the Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. How many of you grew up in a church that had a Wednesday night prayer and Bible study? You know what I'm talking about? And so you come to Wednesday night prayer and Bible study, and there was a specific time in the church, the order of service, that uh, you would pray for the petitions of the church, and the church would get together and lift them up, and uh, you would call on different people to pray. So you got to know people by their prayers. You know I mean, there, there was a guy that always prayed for, for our country. Lord, help our country. Bring our country back to you. There, there was the guy that always prayed for the, the children and, and the future. Lord, bless our future. Bless our children. Help them to learn, you know, who you are and what you want to do in their lives. There was the guy that thought God forgot his name. So it was always like, dear father, I pray, father, that you, father, would bless me, father. Don't look at me like that. You judge people by their prayers too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there, there, was, there was the our father guy, you know? And then there was Doug. Doug was, if I could bottle him up and give him to you, Doug was Texas in a glass. You know what I mean? Like Doug was just, everything about Doug was Texan. His drawl, the way he talked, well, hello, preacher. <laughs> the way he carried himself. His hobbies, for hobbies, no joke, Doug's hobby was fast draw competitions. Like, like, like you know, like the Wild West. I'm like, what, what do you do again? <laughs> you know what I mean? He goes, these fast draw competitions. But yeah, preacher came in first. I'm like, remind me never to cross you. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like these fast draw competitions, everything about Doug. When Doug would be called on to pray, nothing about him changed. He was who he was. And he stepped into God's presence and he always started his prayers like this. Dear Lord, it's me, Doug. Like the Lord didn't know, you know. Dear Lord, it's me, Doug. And Lord, I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in them their hills and the oil in them hills, the flowers on the hills, the trees. And as he prayed, every time Doug prayed, you could see it was an act of a man who was confident who he was in Jesus, stepping into God's presence and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do with this life. I don't know what to do with these petitions. I don't know what to do with all these problems, but I know the person who can help him. And he would step into the presence of Jesus in this confidence that was so simple, 
but so divine. That was so simple, but so out of this world as he stepped into God's presence. And by the time he said, amen, you knew that God had just heard his prayer. Friend, if it's true that Hebrews says, us, says to us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, then why are we so absent from the throne that we're called to come boldly to? If it's true that love lives and lasts in confidence, then why do we not more often go to that place? Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you're not consumed. If it's true that God never changes and I can step into his presence with boldness because I have a paraclete, I have, a, I have a, um, someone beside me, a lawyer who says, hey, I'll represent you, the Holy Spirit. And the only other time that the word paraclete is used, it's by John to define Jesus when he says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If it's true that every time I step into God's presence, I am covered by the righteousness of Jesus, then why should I not spend more time there. Friend, I think sometimes we walk by the smell, we try to avoid it. We think, man, I don't really know what's going wrong. I don't even know if there's anything directly going wrong. And maybe for many times as Christians, we're simply settling for lesser than our joy being full, like John wrote that it could be. So how can you do that? Maybe this morning you're, you're like, well, I, I know I need to spend more time in fellowship with God. Maybe this morning you're like, you know what, I've been kind of going my own way and I just, need to be, I just need to be submissive to the spirit of God. Maybe this morning you're here and you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to connect all the dogs, Pastor Gabe. What, what should I do? I'll tell you what I do when I get there. When I don't know what to do, I simply show back up in the throne room of God and I come boldly to the throne. Why? Because he promised to give me grace in time of need. And I find myself in need often. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for how well they've studied your word this morning as we've covered numerous scriptures. Lord, as we've covered numerous truths. Father, my prayer is that we would all let your Holy Spirit guide us to the truth that you want us to grow in this week. Father, I thank you so much for the access that you've given us because the veil has been torn. We can now step into your presence because of Jesus Christ the righteous, because the blood has been applied to the mercy seat. Father, there's so many doctrinal truths. For the Christian who's been a Christian for decades, Lord, I pray that we would continue to have our joy and our love full. For the Christian who's brand new, Lord, may they also continue to live and enter into the fullness of your joy this week as we learn and as we continue to live in love. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.